Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the January 19th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, my show is brought to you by my firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. And as I always remind you, if there is an episode you want to listen to, if you just want to learn more about the topics that we have covered here on Local Matters, please go to my website. That is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. There you'll find a Local Matters tab. And on that tab will be every episode. All you got to do is click on it and listen to those. Uh, you can always also open them and share them with others who may be interested in some of the information that uh, we have shared. If you missed last week's episode, it was a really good one. I had Reverend Melvin Ivey from the Augusta branch of the NAACP come in and talk about that work uh, as a nonprofit organization. Uh, and for next week, I have coming, um, Dr. Lee Merchant. She is the new director of the East Central Georgia Health District. You may recall that last year I had then director Dr. Stephen Goggins in to talk about the challenges of dealing with the pandemic for a public health agency. And this time around, uh, I have got the new director. She just came in a few months ago and she's going to come in, tell us some about her background and, you know, how the health department is moving forward as we are now completing two years of a pandemic. Um, this week, uh, we're going to focus on um, that other leg of government. You know, I talk about cities and counties as local government. I talk about state government. Occasionally, we touch on some federal issues, and in particular, how those federal issues impact what happens at the state and local levels. And today, we're going to talk about that other government entity, and that is school systems. Uh, I have a guest with us who has been a career educator, and she's going to come in and talk about a book that she has written and give us some real insight into what many times educators are facing uh, in the classroom, what types of obstacles these kids are up against. So uh, hold on tight. I want you to stay tuned. This is really going to be an educational episode not just for those who are in public education, um, but also many others who interact with kids, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, uh, where in your life you encounter children that seem to be having problems and you have to kind of dig and figure out what is going on. And many times when you do peel back the layers, you found out that these kids have been through an awful lot. So today we're going to talk about uh, some of those things, have an open, open honest discussion uh, about that and how educational systems can better respond to the issues that those kids have been through. So again, thank you so much for being a part of our Local Matters family. We're here to bring you interesting conversations, great information, all with the goal of enhancing your life, helping you become uh, more engaged and more confident in how you look at uh, various things that are taking place in public life.
Today, I have an author with me. Uh, she is Ms. Patricia Jackson. Uh, I have known her for a long time. I tell people that people ask me, where do you get your guests from? And I said, well, a lot of my guests are just people who've been a part of my village. Mm -hmm. And today I have somebody who's been a part of my village for since the early 90s. How are you doing today, Miss Jackson? I am doing excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for responding to my call. Um, I have asked her to come in and talk about uncrippled, guiding children from trauma to triumph. Uh, but before we get started in discussing the book, I want you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you started and where you are now. Okay, so I was born and raised in Damascus, Georgia, which is uh, in Early County, Georgia, near the Columbia, Dothan, Alabama line. And um, I was raised by a single parent. Um, so, and raised in poverty. Um, I had no desire to go to college because being raised in poverty, I wanted to go to work immediately. And the place where everybody made money was the uh, paper mill, Georgia Pacific. At the time, it was called Georgia, Georgia uh, Southern, I think, uh, paper mill. And that's where I saw people with cars and nice homes and things. And I wanted to go to work there. But as God would have it, he had different plans for me. So I don't care how many times I applied. I was never accepted. I had a scholarship um, right out of high school to attend Auburn University. And I turned it down because college, I just didn't, didn't want to go to college. But I was always smart. So I had taken the SAT and scored very well. The ASVAB, the Air Force recruiter came to talk to me because my scores were, were really high. But in the end, uh, I ended up going to Albany State because I worked at a, a sewing factory and I, that, that was not for me. So I ended up going on to Albany State. So I graduated from Albany State with a bachelor's and a master's uh, in special education. And then I, I went back to Albany State University and received a specialist in um, educational administration and leadership. I've worked as a teacher, a school level supervisor, and district level leadership. And I retired as director for um, career and technical education with the Doherty County School System. And that involves uh, overseeing programs um, in the career field like business education, healthcare, marketing, that type of thing. And so after 32 years, I retired. But before my retirement, I taught students uh, with severe and profound disabilities, moderate and mild intellectual disabilities. I moved on to um, single subject learning disabilities and I taught introduction to special education to new teachers. So I've, I've had a variety of uh, experience. I was teacher support specialist for the district which meant I um, supported new teachers. I performed teacher evaluations and observations from kindergarten to high school in all subjects. I sat on the state career and technical advisory board of directors for the Georgia Department of Education. And I visited schools in Texas, Nevada, Nebraska, Colorado, just to name a few. 
um, looking for best practices. And I just, I, I, I thought I had a passion for teaching, but I really didn't. I found out I had a passion for students. And that's a huge difference. There is a huge difference. And that is an excellent summary of your background. And I just, so my audience knows, I asked her to go into this type of detail because I want you to understand that this is somebody who really understands education <laughs> and children. So mm -hmm. uh, there's one more thing we're going to detour in and then we'll get into your, your book. Okay. Uh, you happen to be a member of a certain divine nine organization. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. You tell I, everybody which one that is. Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated. I'm a member of the Albany, Georgia alumni chapter and please Delta Row at Albany State. All right. Very good. I just like <laughs> to get that out just because we have so many divine nine listeners, number one and number two, because like, I think a lot of times people think that, you know, we just kind of party and play all the time, but, you know, having done all of that, um, you decide that you want to write this book. Mm hmm. And as I started reading the book and you talked about trauma, I started thinking about some of my childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And what I recall from my elementary school days was that I always felt like Augusta is a type of town where it's not so much what you know, it's who you know. Mm -hmm. And if people, the teachers specifically, if teachers and principal, others, if they knew your parents, I think those kids got an easier uh, ride than those whose parents were not known to the faculty mm -hmm. and administration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree. that created some degree of trauma for me when mm -hmm. I was growing up. Uh -huh. and now, of course, my response to that was to make sure that I demonstrated excellence at all times so that folks would realize that even if you don't know somebody's mom and daddy, they might still have something mm -hmm. to offer. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So you also talked about your trauma. Man was feeling like an outsider. Mm -hmm. uh, you talk about some of your trauma as a student as well. You want to get mm -hmm. into that? Yeah. Um, one of my main issues or uh, uh, traumatic uh, background experiences was, um, number one, I went to school in rural er Early County, and we did not integrate until my fifth grade year. So um, it was an all-black school, and that meant, and it was a very good school, but that meant that everybody knew everything about you because it was just a, a community neighborhood school and so and, and you went there from first to eighth grade and everybody knew everything about you my father had left uh, my parents had uh, uh, divorced before I was two and so not growing up with a dad in the home my mother was a housekeeper uh, by uh, profession. She cleaned other people's homes. So I can just remember being told uh, at home. Now, if you go to school and somebody bothers you, somebody hits you, you better hit them back. So we grew up because, you know, children will taunt you. We, we grew up uh, fighting. Um, and I actually developed some bullying 
tendencies because that's how you get people off of you. You are, you know, a, a lot of times. And so there's one incident, I think, uh, about May Day. And May Day was just this big, exciting time. And the, the big person at, in the May Day was the May Queen. And so one of my teachers recommended that I be considered for the May Queen. And I, I had this habit of, of eavesdropping. So I overheard this. But the next thing that I overheard was another teacher commented, well, you know, she's smart and everything, but we need a pretty girl. I will never forget it as long as I live, because that was the day that it was confirmed that I was not a pretty girl to me, that that was confirmed to me. And um, I was chunky. I was self-conscious. And that led to body image concerns that have plagued me for my entire life and to this day. When I enter a room, whether I'm giving a lecture or a workshop or training, I, I still look around to see if I'm the biggest person there. And that just has, um, that has, that, that has followed me. Um, and that's part of my tra trauma, my dad not being there. And my mother remarried to the town drunk. So there's shame attached to that. So I had a lot of things going on that made me a traumatized child. And that placed you in a better position, I'm sure, to see that when you when it came across into your classroom. Mm -hmm. it, it, it did. Because I'm a why person, a why. If a person is behaving in a certain way, I want to know why. why. Why is that? Or And by a teacher of special education, I, ta I taught English language arts primarily and some social studies. And when children couldn't grasp a concept, I always want to know why. Or if I, I just have always wanted to know why. Okay. And also, as you think about uh, one of the lines in the book that really uh, got to me, my favorite line in the whole book, you said, <laughs> well, I came here to teach English. <laughs> right. I'm here to teach students. Right. And, <laughs> and, and what point did person. that just kind of die? How many years had you been in the classroom before you realized that? I just, I, I don't know. It was kind of early on. I would say it, it was early on because, you know, when you go into teaching, you think, you think school is going to be like the schools that you attended. And so the teacher is going to be this way and the students are going to be this way and that you're going, you're just going to teach. And so I, that's what I wanted to do to teach, but you have to have a whole other bag of tricks to be a successful teacher. And you're not teaching English, you're teaching students. You're teaching students. Okay. And, um, as you came to that realization, one of the other things you said in the book was that you didn't think student teaching in college really prepared you to teach kids. Mm -mm. It didn't. At the time that I had student teaching and in my work with new teachers and, and being a teacher support specialist, student teaching is going to prepare you about lesson plannings and creating lessons and but not that other bag of tricks that you have to have to be an effective teacher uh, is not touched upon. And the other thing is that 
your student teaching experience is only as good as your assigned teacher. Um, and things we don't uh, recognize is that uh, where you teach um, is going to be vastly different from your own experiences and your experiences in um, student teaching because the culture of the school is different, the age of the teachers, the age of the uh, administrators, uh, the culture of the town. There's just so much that you have to take into consideration when you become a teacher. And nobody, not one time did I ever have anyone tell me, look into the background of your students to see what they may have gone through. Uh, if you notice a student struggling, look into the background of the students um, to see why they might be bullies or why they, don't like to be called on in class or what to do if a student is not attentive. Um, and one thing that, especially with today's kids, they want to be heard. They did not grow up in the do as I say um, <laughs> years and they want to be heard. And if they feel like they're not being heard, they're not being respected, they're going to shut down and they're gonna go into one of their trauma modes. And as you talk about some examples in your book, there's several examples in your book. And one of the things that I really liked about your approach was you not only talked about the things you got right, you also talked about the things you got wrong. <laughs> Plenty <laughs> of those things. Plenty of them. <laughs> Yes, Would you say that you still <sighs> about stuff that happened 25 years ago mm -hmm. and how you can make it right now? How, you, how I can make it. One thing that stands out to me was a student came to school with a dress on, a really body contoured dress, and it has holes all the way up and down the size of the dress where you could see her naked body through the dress. And she wore it to school, pretty good uh, student. A, um, one of the teachers sent her to the office for being out of the dress code. And the student kept trying to tell me something, but I was just so overwhelmed with the fact that someone would actually wear that to school until I said, well, listen, I'm gonna call your mother and she's going to have to come and get you because this is just no ma'am, not appropriate for school. And I, you know, in hindsight, I noticed that she she was not disrespectful. She just kind of sunk into the chair and I called her mother and, and her mother was up. Uh, what? I will. I will be right there. When that lady got to my office, I knew immediately, you know what? You made a bad decision. She barged into the office. She began to berate that young lady. And, and the girl, she never did talk back, which um, I kept feeling like, mm, mama's bullying her. And then the mother ended up saying, you have on my bleep bleep dress. Why do you have it on? You know better. And the girl said, this was the only thing that was clean. And I thought, I have done this child a real disservice. 
if I had listened to her, she probably would have told me that. And so that led me to always keeping a change of clothes uh, for students um, in my office. I'd go to Goodwill, I'd get donations and things for students. And that also uh, led me to listening to students. When they, if a teacher sent them there, I always let them tell their side. And then from that, I would determine what my course of action would be. So that was a big wake up call for me. And that's a big change of mindset. Cause I'm telling you, I'm, I'm thinking about even with my kids, you know, my kids are now 20 and 23. So they're not mm-hmm. that far removed from their high school experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think about that. And certainly with mine, of course, I'm far removed from high school, but <laughs> I'm not sure that those educators who did some of the same things you did are looking back and saying, I handled that situation wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) So sometimes we don't think about it. An educator has so much to do. And I, I don't want teachers to feel like I'm saying, okay, every student in your class that's misbehaving has been exposed to, to trauma. uh, They're just, you know, they're just, I don't want them to think that I'm trying to use that for um, an excuse to excuse behavior because I certainly am not. What I want teachers to understand is that first, first, just consider the fact that the behavior might be able to be attributed to something else. And as you think about trauma, um, I want for our listeners who may want a better definition of what that is. Can you tell me, tell me what do you consider trauma? Okay, so trauma is is exposure to any um, situation that causes a child uh, pain, disappointment, and alters the way that they perceive themselves and the way that they perceive the world. And some of those things include poverty, exposure to violence in the home, which I was exposed to violence in my home. Um, My stepfather, he would uh, be uh, drunk and he would come home and want to fight. And um, I remember one time my mother, uh, we moved, we moved in secret and he found out where we moved and he came to the house and was trying to throw uh, windows through uh, bricks through the windows of our house. And my mother, who was a very mild person, she shot him through the door. Uh, She said, quit banging on my door, leave my door. If you don't, I'm going to shoot you. Number one, I didn't know she had a gun. She shot him and she hit him. He, he collapsed in the yard. We were looking out of the window. He managed to get up and, and get in his car and leave. Um, at, but that next day, I remember getting up, going to school as though nothing had happened, even though we walked over blood stains in our yard. And all the children in the, in the neighborhood that rode the bus with us, we, we knew. Uh, so that creates shame. It creates, uh, you know, being found out, uh, and I talk about poverty, violence, sickness, and this COVID-19 has exposed a lot of children, parents, and teachers to trauma, trauma, 
uh, parents have had stretched that food dollar. They, uh, a lot of kids are being left at home alone. Um, they are exposed to sexual violence. They're just exp exposed to a lot of different things that in our nice little tidy homes, our children are not exposed to. And we have no idea how that manifests in, in uh, behavior. So you took it upon yourself to look for signs of trauma and mm -hmm. then to enact different responses when you knew that there was trauma in that home. Right. Um, I know you've written the book as one way to help educators and others deal with that sort of trauma when they see it. Um, do you also do any speaking engagements or workshops or things like that? I do. I do. I have done a variety of presentations at conferences throughout the United States. I do workshops and trainings. I, um, I do a lot of uh, workshops on trauma for women uh, as well as children, because what you experience as a child follows you into your adulthood. And especially if you are a teacher, you bring that into the classroom. So you have to understand your own predispositions uh, as you do that. So I do educational consulting, training workshops. I do it on uh, such topics as career competencies, teacher collaboration, trauma intervention, and um, speaking engagements. I, I like to do a lot of training, hands-on training. Okay, all right. From Damascus, Georgia, to train in the world. That's all That's right. right. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I would be remiss if I did not give you an opportunity to tell people how they contact you and how to access copies of your book. So could you please share that with uh, our listeners who might be interested in having you come in and conduct some workshops for them or they just want to read the book so they have a better understanding of how trauma impacts the kids? Right, right. And I want to emphasize that this book is not just for, for educators. I think it is good for anybody who interacts with uh, uh, students, probation officers, uh, just anybody who's in the village of raising children, uh, pastors, nurses who come in into contact uh, with students, and uh, for even for uh, understanding yourself, my book is available on Amazon, uh, Patricia Jackson, Uncrippled, Guiding Students uh, from Trauma um, to Triumph. Uh, my contact information is, my email is paja.jackson at gmail.com. And you can reach me by phone at 229-886-3488. Thank you so much for being a guest. We only have another minute or two. Is there anything else, a final word that you would like to share with our listeners? Um, I think the a way that educators can use this is that they can identify their own biases and trauma that leads to forming opinions about students and help you to understand how students are systematically pushed out of schools into the prison pop pipeline and um, recognize how not to trigger students 
and recognized how a passion for teaching is different for, from a passion for children. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you so much for writing this book. Um, I, I know that there's a lot that goes on in classrooms that uh, the general public and even sometimes the teachers, as you said, are not aware of because they mm-hmm. haven't taken the time to really investigate to see what's going on and ask that why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've been mm-hmm. asking about why you're seeing certain behaviors. So thanks so much for being a part of the Local Matters family. And I wish you the very best in your quest to ensure uh, that children can indeed become uncrippled. Thank you so much. Thank you. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.